Good afternoon. Has anybody got a piece of candy? I need candy. I need candy or gum or something. Because my throat is dry. Is that? That'll work on it. What is that? Tic Tacs will be awesome. Anybody else need a Tic Tac? I'm going to put them right here and we'll use them sparingly during the message. How about that? Sparingly like I get two right now. Yes. So this message today is called The Softened Heart. The Softened Heart. And if we look through Scripture and look through your Bible and try to find uh, a text or a verse about a softened heart, you will find that it is a rare item. And being that it's a rare item is symbolic of, I think, of it being a rare item in humanity, a softened heart. God uh, wants us to have a softened heart so that he can mold our heart. Bible talks about in places that we are clay and that he is, he is the potter that we are to allow him to uh, mold us and make us into what he wants us to be. And this softened heart is, is inside where that God can uh, mold us into who he wants us to become. So as we talk about a softened heart, the only scripture that I could find anywhere in the Bible that uh, even says that there's a soft heart is in, or in Job chapter 23. It's the Old Testament. It's right before Psalms. So if you're flipping through your Bible, if you get to Psalms, just flip over to the left a little bit and you'll land in Job. He's the book right before the book of Psalms. It's Psalms chapter, or Job chapter 23. And uh, the verse is verse 16. Job 23, verse 16. And it says this, For God made my heart soft, and the Almighty terrifies me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Lord, we're thankful that you encourage us, that you strengthen us, that you guide us, that you lead us. Father, I just pray today that you would open our hearts, open our minds, cause our spirit to be receptive to what you're saying to us, and let us walk out of this place with a softened heart, Lord, that we could do the works that you bid us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. And it's amazing in this book of Job that Job is here uh, talking back to his uh, his friends, his companions about that God has softened his heart. And I don't know about you, but uh, in my life there's been a lot of times where that I feel a little hard-hearted or a a, a uh, stubbornness about me. Amen. That I feel like I'm I'm reserved. That I'm holding back. That I'm not willing to give in. That I've got to I've got to prove my point or stand my ground. And and here Job is telling his friends. That God has made his heart soft. A soft heart. And as I look through scripture, I found uh, multiple places all throughout scripture where it talks about people having a hard heart. We hear about Pharaoh, how that God had hardened his heart. And he would not give in. He would not give way to let God take the children of Israel out of, uh, out of his land of Egypt into the land that God had promised them. That he hardened his heart. 
And here it's saying that God softened his heart. And Job's saying this. And it's amazing to me that if you look at the story of Job, has anybody ever read the story of Job in the Old Testament and, 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 and walked your way through it and just studied a little bit in the, in the book of Job? Has anybody ever read it at all? It's one of those books that's kind of hard to get through. It's not an easy book to read. It's not an easy text to read. But as we learn about Job, and actually a lot of the theologians, they say that the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. So if you placed it in chronological order, that you would go to front to back, that Job would be placed first. It's one of the oldest books. And sure, Genesis talks about some things prior to Job, but Job would be early on in chronological order. And early on, we think about uh, these people in, in our uh, science uh, version of our society today, scientific version, uh, we would think that these people were cavemen, that they were some... Uh, uh, Kind of some dumb people, really, and I can't think of a better term, or there's a little, little lack on their learning, right? That they wasn't as uh, smart as we are today. But if you study through this book and look all through the book of Job, as I was reading through it this, this week, as I was looking at the book of Job, there's all kinds of things in there that kind of astounded me. He talks about his kidneys. He talks about his gallbladder and about bile and about his stomach and about all kinds of things. And I was thinking, really, if they were so stupid and so... Uh, so uh, I don't even know the word, prehistoric, I guess. How can they understand those things? How could they be that wise? Because God makes us wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if we fear God, we will have wisdom. We will have something in our life that God will give us knowledge and teach us how to apply it to make us a better person. So as Job is saying these things, and, and, and the story of Job is awesome because as you begin the story of Job, it, it, it tells the story about how Job was an upright man before God, that he loved God, that he loved people, that he cherished his family, that he done good in the community, that he done all types of good things. Job really loved people. And as Job, the story goes that as Job is there and he's living life and it talks about his seven sons and his three daughters and how that, how that they are, are living in the luxury of their, God's, of their father's blessing, that they're enjoying life. Just uh, traveling through, you know, born into a rich household, wouldn't that be awesome? How many of you would like to have been born into a Bill Gates family? Maybe you'd be Bill Gates' son or daughter. Wouldn't that be awesome? To think about, man, just how much would that mean to live in that kind of household? Job was a rich man. He was somebody that was blessed by God. He had a lot of wisdom, a lot of understanding. And as he was living in life, that there come this point where the enemy wanted to attack Job. Because the enemy knows if he can take down Job, he can take down all of his friends, he can take down all of his family, he can take down everything. So Job comes, the enemy, it says that the devil comes up to God and appears to God and says, you know, i, I got this problem, I'm, I'm needing to tear somebody down. And God says, the Father, God says this, have you considered my servant Job? This is amazing to me to think about that God trusted Job. It's just that dumbfounds me. I've heard a lot of people talk about them trusting God, but I've heard very few people talking about God trusting them. And here we have a picture of God saying, Have you considered my servant Job? God trusts Job in this occasion. 
And God tells the devil, he tells him, well, okay, Satan, you can go and, and you can, you can, and, and uh, Satan says pretty much, the only reason Job still trusts you the way he does or still lives the way he does is because you've got this hedge around him. You're protecting him. How many can thank God for protection? Amen. I thank God. And you need to plead the blood of Jesus to be around you and be a hedge of protection around about you and your family. I believe in a hedge of protection. That God is our provider. He's our protector. So as, as this happens and, and the enemy says, but you've got this hedge of protection around him and sure he's going to trust you. Sure he's going to be faithful to you. But what's he going to do whenever you take stuff away from him, God? And God said, okay, you can, have, uh, you can do anything you want to Job. Save his life. Leave him. And the enemy comes and he takes, and he, it, the story tells in Job how that the enemy comes and the earthquake happens and, and this famine comes and it, it kills all the Job's sheep and cattle and an earthquake happens and the, and the house falls in on all Job's uh, ten kids. At one time they all perished in one building. All these words come back to Job in a single day. Here's about all of his livestock dying off. He hears about the famine. He hears about his sons and daughters dying in a single day. How I many knows that'll bring some sorrow on you? That'll bring some pain and some anguish in your heart. Yet Job still trusted God. He still believed in God. He still, he still fought the good fight of faith. This battle that we're in, the battle that we're involved in is trying to be a Christian and trying to live this Christian life. It's a fight, church. It's a daily battle that we've got to wake up in the morning to decide, today I'm going to follow Christ. Today I'm going to attempt to do the best I can. I'm not saying every day I walk out of life successful and lay down on the bed thinking, yeah, I've really gained a lot today. <laughs> There's a lot of days we lay our head down and wish I, wish I could do that over. And God says, you can. I'll give you another chance. He's the God of second chances. But here Job lays and he stands strong and says, no, uh, I'm not going to give up on God. And the enemy comes back to God again, and he says, okay, the reason he won't give up on you now or he won't back talk you or he won't back down is because you haven't allowed me to touch him. So then the father says, okay, you can do anything you want to him personally, physically and spiritually, but you can't take his life. And the enemy comes, and he attacks Job in his physical body. The Bible talks about the boils broke out all over his body from head to toe. Absolute disaster. And as you read the story, you see that Job begins to dwindle and his health begins to diminish. And as he's going downhill, and, and, it, and it even talks about one place that his, his, that his skin is sticking to his bones. Apparently he lost a lot of weight. And as he's sitting there and he's, he's in this pain and this anguish, and anywhere in the Old Testament or in Jewish culture, you'll see that if, if somebody begins to be in pain or, or anguish or sorrow, that they will sit in sackcloth and ashes that it talks about, that they'll throw dust in the air above them. I don't know why they do that, but that's what they do. It's a culture thing with them. It's to show that they're in sorrow or deep remorse about something. And Job has this going on, and he's sitting there, and, and as he's doing this, he's in this anguish, he's in this pain, and it, it talks about him scraping his bulls, and he scraped them. And I, I've got poison ivy on my hand right now. It's my left hand, so if I shook your hand, it was the right hand. I don't have any poison ivy on this hand. It's this hand. I didn't shake your hand with the left hand, so don't worry. I hate poison ivy. Has anybody ever had poison ivy? 
oh, it's miserable. It's just like it's just it's one of those things that just aggravates you so much. And and you know, man, I really want to scratch it, and I really want to. And I'm thinking that one right there between my fingers, that's the worst one ever. It gets in between your fingers every time you move. It's like, oh, I want to dig that so bad. But I know if I do, it's going to spread everywhere else. So I've got to set my mind. I'm not going to touch it, right? I'm not going to do that. Well, I, I have a couple of times. It's spread around my hand. But it's aggravating. And can you imagine having boils all over your body and scraping them yourself? That would be some severe pain. And as Job is doing this, he's got these good friends. How many knows if you're rich, you're going to have lots of friends? Amen? So the Bible says he's got these friends, and, and they come from far away, and they come in to say, what's this going on in Job's life? I hear he's in turmoil. I hear he's in trouble. I'm going to come in and, and try, to, try to build my buddy up, right? I'm going to come in. He's my friend. He's got a lot of stuff. So they come in, and they sit down, and they begin to talk to Job, and that's pretty much the whole book of Job is them saying something to him, and then Job responding to them. So as it happens, his friends begin to talk, and they'll say, well, Job, surely you've sinned. The only reason something bad can happen in your life is because you've sinned. Job's like, no, didn't do anything wrong. Job was so righteous that he was so uh, uh, cautious about God. That, and even this verse that we read says that he, he has a fear for God. In 23, verse 16, it says he has a fear for God. He feared God so much that even when his kids were out partying and living the life that they was, that he was afraid that God would be on, on the attack of, or, or have a vengeance on their sin, that he even brought uh, uh, sacrifices for his kids. How many of you have pled the blood over your children, even though they don't deserve it? They might have been a little hellion that day. You woke up that morning, the next morning, and say, you know what? They was a terror yesterday, but I'm going to plead the blood over them today. Right? Never give up on them. Never give up hope. Never give up doubt. To think that there's no turning around for your children. Amen. Plead the blood of Jesus over them. Pray that hedge of protection around them. You never know the day when you're going to get the call. Like my mom got a few weeks ago. of my brother sitting on the phone, crying, saying, I accepted Jesus. You never know when that phone call is going to come. The Bible even talks about in the New Testament that the, that the Father, that there's a protection force comes down from the Father throughout the household. That there's, there's a, a, a protection that God places around a Christian home. Not saying everything's going to be hunky-dory and everything's going to be just grand and it's going to be awesome. There's going to be some troublesome times in your life. But the thing is, with God, we can get through it. With God, we can overcome with a softened heart, God can ply our life and He can mold our life and change us to who He wants us to be. So as this is happening to Job and his friends are telling him, well, surely you sinned. And Job says, surely I haven't. No, I didn't. He's not in denial. He's telling the truth. But his friends won't believe him because the only case they've got is to say, when I mess up, bad things happen. And I'm not saying it don't. Wherever you mess up, you're going you're gonna to reap what you sow. Amen. Bad decisions has bad results. And that's what his friends are trying to tell him. And Job's like, no, I didn't mess up this time. I'm telling you. And every one of them, they keep coming back with all these. And Job is just adamant. He's like, absolutely, no way. I know I didn't mess up. I know I didn't sin against God. In Job chapter 16, 
Look right there real quick. Job chapter 16. Job answering to his friends, talking to his friends. Then Job answered and said, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforts, comforters are you all. Shall words of wind have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? I also speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's place, I would heap up words against you and shake my head at you. But I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. Job's telling his friends, why are you beating me down when I'm in this condition? I don't need a bunch of naysayers in my life. Come on, somebody. Well, I don't need naysayers. When I'm, I'm down the molly grubs and I'm having a bad day, I don't need to say somebody beat me down when I'm already down. I need somebody to lift me up. And Job's telling his friends, hey, I know you guys are over here to be an encouragement to you. You're trying to find out what's going on, but guess what? Don't beat me down more. I'm already down in the dirt, man. I'm throwing sackcloth and ashes, and I'm, I'm throwing dirt up in my hair. You know I'm a train wreck. I'm a mess. Don't beat me up again. Don't kick me while I'm down. And he said, if I were to trade places with you, and I was coming to visit you, and you were in my condition, I would be lifting you up and encouraging you with words. The power, the, it's amazing to me that Scripture teaches us that the power of life and death is in the tongue. What would humanity be like if we were all encouragers? What would Lewis County be like if everybody didn't walk around talking about how depressed Lewis County is and how, how much we're so behind and we'll never catch up and there's, there's no way out of this, this great gulf that we're in that there's just no way Lewis County will ever have anything. We've always been stuck in a rut. It's the same old, same old. What if there was an encourager walk around and say, God's getting ready to do something great. He's getting ready to turn our county around and this is going to be a blessed place to live. I'm proud to be from Lewis County. I, I'm not ashamed to be from here. I'm proud to be from here. What if people spoke positively versus negatively? Can anybody say guilty? I've been guilty multiple times. When anybody asks me where I'm from, I'm from Lewis County. Where's that at? Well, it's a little, little poor place down there in eastern Kentucky. Which I don't know how River. There's 13,835 people. Average income is just a little under 14,000 a year for, our, for in, income per household. Study these statistics to know this stuff. And I talk about it because I want to bring on a plight of showing people who we are. When you go to talk to people from elsewhere about people living in a house, four people in a home, making 14000 a year, everybody's like, really? In, in, in 2015? 2016? Are you, are, you, are you for real? It's like we're some third world country or something. But if we always think that's who we are, that's who we'll always be. Amen. God says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. They're, th they're thoughts to prosper you, to bless you. If that's God's thoughts toward us, why do we think anything different? It's amazing to me how that sometimes we bring our own pain on ourselves because we won't speak positively that we speak negatively and sometimes our friends that are down in the molly grubs maybe they're having a bad day 
Maybe they're having a bad year. Might just be a bad week. Might be a bad month. They're having a bad time. And they're not looking for people to beat them down. They're looking for people to lift them up, to be an encouragement. God places people in our life for them to be a help to us and for us to be a help to them. Everybody that you consider to be a friend, God has placed them in your life for you to help them and for them to help you. And I was talking about this morning during the message at Vanceburg, and it just kind of hit me as I was thinking about, you know, people that... Uh, it's easy to bless somebody that's rich. There's other people that's made it in our society here in Lewis County that have made a pretty good way for their self. He was excited about his paper. Look, Jeannie. But it isn't about what we do for the rich. It's about what we do for the downcast. It's what we do for the ones that don't have a lot of friends. And it's amazing to me, like, Greg's one of the best at it, I know. And we've talked about it oftentimes, and, and Donna knows it to be true. Greg's got a lot of friends that probably he's the only friend of those people. There's multiple people that'll go to Greg and ask him for help, ask him for guidance. Sometimes they just come over and hang out about 2 in the morning. <laughs> Finally, Greg's going to take them out and say, look, it's time to go home. <laughs> it's been a good day, but it's time to go home. There's people in his life that he's a good friend to, and he don't speak down to them. He don't speak ill of them. He just blesses them. And that's an absolute picture of the type of friend that Job needed in his day of pain in his day of anguish what kind of friend are we how much are we there for those that are in need in our community I thank God for our youth group because Dusty and Albie says all the time they're constantly saying this over and over and again is how that they, they make sure to tell all the youth doesn't matter who you are or what family you're from if you come to youth everybody's the same and they encourage some of them are a little odd <laughs> No, no name Xander or you know not Ryan or or you two you know they're kind of strange it's kind of the teenage thing you know what I mean it's just you're just weird and Dusty encourages their weirdness he tells them you can just be weird I wish I would have had a youth group like that because I was an odd man out all the time I was always felt like I was somebody different that's just how you feel when you're growing up and you need a place where you can just be yourself that you don't have to try to fit in, that you don't have to be in the cool kid club, that you don't have to be in the nerd club, you don't have to be in any other group to try to find your place. You can just be who you are. I thank God for that in our youth group. I thank God for youth pastors that will tell youth, and when they start picking on one of them, does still stand up. No, you're not going to do that here. You might do it at school. You might do it everywhere else, but in our youth group, you're not going to do that. I thank God for that because a friend is what our youth need. And what if our youth in this room today would have adults that would go around them and encourage them and strengthen them and tell them how good they are at things? What if you see one of them open the door for you? Do you say thank you and say that's, that's a good quality to have? That's going to take you far in life. Amen. 
seeing youth going around and shaking hands and, and having these soft skills that a lot of kids ain't got today. That's an encouraging thing. I thank God for kids that can shake my hand and look me in the eye because most of them won't. If you go out in culture, go out in society and start reaching your hand out and see how many of them even knows what a handshake is. Amen? It's something that's needed. But the adults, we impact youth's lives. But at the same time, there's days where we're going to need them. And they'll be an encouragement to us. So it's a two-way street in friendship. Job's friends didn't do that. They beat him down. By the end of the story, you know, as it goes through, Job just keeps going back and saying, that, no, no I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. And there's one place in Job that says, um, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job, Job says that, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even if God kills me, I'm still going to be trusting God. And it's amazing how that God trusted Job, but I figured out by reading Job through this time that it wasn't about that God trusted Job. It was about where Job trusted God that allowed God to trust Job. Do you see what I'm saying? If we trust God, He can trust us because He's in charge. He knows we won't mess up if we trust in Him. So this is the story of all this. How's this what's a softened heart look like? It's a heart that allows God to move in your life. It's a heart that says, no matter what happens, no matter what hell comes my way, I'm going to trust God. Amen. And if we make up our mind and make up our heart and make up our spirit, man, to say, come hell or high water, I'm trusting God. Amen. God will trust us. And when He trusts us, the devil cannot shake us. Even when our friends walk away from us, family walk away from us, and it seems like all society has left and abandoned us, we can still trust God. Isn't it amazing to see God move in your life when everyone else has left you? That's what the story of Job is all about. Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, he's writing back to a church, the church at Corinth, and he's telling them that he's seen the day where he was having trouble in Asia Minor. And he's telling them He's thanking them for praying for him and for encouraging him and for bearing the burden of the pain he's dealing with in ministry. I thank God for the media age that we're in today. And I can tell you right now that the Nelsons, Anthony Nelson, and those on the screen, they need our encouragement. Living with seven kids out in the middle of nowhere land. <laughs> I can't imagine. In, in a, and I'm talking about some of the pictures that they show. And it, it, they done a, a thing with gloves there a few years ago where that they, they took up gloves. And our church was involved in that. that We took up gloves and sent them gloves. Thousands of pairs of gloves. There's, there's people up there that, that die of frostbite without any covering. Everybody up there is, is alcoholics. They're, they're, they have extreme problems. So as this is happening, what kind of friends do they need? And what if when they come in sometimes the next time on their missionary journey, maybe it's during a missions conference that we'll get them in, that you can introduce yourself to their family, that you can become friends. Greg and Donna allowed people in their home a few years ago 
when you get that close with somebody it, or, or something different, it changes inside of you. You worry about them. You pray for them. You, you, you help when you hear that they're having troubles and things. I know you guys sign up for their emails and all that stuff. There's all kinds of ways that we can help our missionaries. And one of the main ways is to be there for them. Send them an encouraging word. It means more than anything. You, you don't even ever know what some of your words will mean if you're just an encouraging word. That's what Paul was needing when he was in ministry. There, there's all kinds of pain going on, that there was great anguish in his life, and the ministry was, seemed like it was falling apart. And he said, thank you, Corinthians, for being there and backing me up. How many of us in this room have seen points in our life where we needed somebody? How many could say there's been points in my life where I needed somebody? I needed somebody to be an encourager to me. I needed somebody to speak in my life. And it felt like I was all alone. And during that season, during that time, and nobody was there, what if just one person would have showed up and said, I believe in you, I trust in you, I bless you, and I do not curse you? What would it have meant? So if we know that looking backward, and we always say, I wish I could go back and do that over again. You'll never go back and do anything over again. Why not look at this point and say, going forward, I'm going to look around and see somebody hurting, somebody with, and you can usually tell, even in a church service, when we go around and shake hands, you can tell when you're shaking somebody's hand. You can, once you get accustomed to people, you'll know, you'll sense, man, last week they was happy, the last two months they've been happy, and today I go around there standing there like, oh, man, I can't even bear to shake hands today. Be a good time to lift them up. Amen? So learn, the Bible says, to know those who labor among you. It's good to know in our crowd people that need some encouragement. Teenagers to old. I'm telling you, sometimes a teenager walking up to an old person and, and giving them a big hug and telling them how happy you are to see them will mean the world to them. It's a way you guys can be an encourager to others too. It's a two-way street. The thing is, can we have a soft heart? Or that God can change us. Let's see if you'll come. Will we have a soft heart where God can use us? Won't you stand? Just bow your head if you would and close your eyes. Is there anybody here that will say, just lift their hand and say, Pastor Ben, I feel like God's speaking to me and he's telling me that I need to be an encourager, that I need to soften my heart so that I can, I can know and I can sense when there's pain around me that I can know to reach out and, and be an encouragement to somebody. Is there anybody in this room that'll lift your hand and say, that's me. I know that God is telling me I need to be better at encouraging people. Is anybody else? Amen. Thank you. you can put your hands down.
Father, I thank you for all those that have raised their hands here today. Lord, for those that are just sitting here and, and hearing your word and knowing, God, that you're speaking to us today. And Lord, that you're calling us out to have a soft heart. God, I thank you that you've already softened their heart enough to raise their hand to say that they would know and understand, Lord, that you're speaking to them. Lord, just as King David said, Lord, let me hide your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. God, I pray today that this word that's been spoken in this place today, that we can learn the story of Job. And Lord, let us learn the, from his life, Lord, that he was desiring a comforter, that he was desiring an encourager during this troublesome time. And Lord, there's people in our life, there's people that we're connected to that need somebody to speak in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would open up our minds. Lord, that you would open up our hearts. Lord, we would reach out and be that person that those that are hurting need in this season of their life. Help us to be your hands and feet and do the things you've asked us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. If you need prayer, we'll be glad to pray with you. Go be blessed. Ask God to soften your heart the remainder of the week and be an encouragement to somebody.